Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here again with our guest host, uh, David Giorgiani, and we thought we'd have a conversation on how hiring and talent is changing, right? So, uh, David, I thought it'd be good to, to chat with you a little bit on, on that subject because uh, the company that you're part of, um, it, it deals a little bit with that, but you're not necessarily a, a hiring or talent expert uh, um, yourself, so you can provide kind of the the in and the out perspective, right, as someone kind of in and out of the mix. And for those that know know me and my background, so I used to be heavily involved in, in, in talent, more from an undergrad perspective, right, the, the young folks uh, in, in new hire entry level positions, but I used to also do a lot in the uh, experience hire for, for my particular group as well. And I was very much into kind of talent management from like a learning and development and growth and, and, and all that sort of stuff as well. Uh, and one of the conversations I've been having, well, um, lately, actually, is that how how challenging, how basically broken <laughs> the whole resume process and, and the recruiting process is, uh, and and then it, it's turned into more of a discussion on uh, the rest of talent and how how challenging it can be as well. But I thought we'd kind of dive a little bit into um, kind of re- recruiting where the challenges are you, you have this piece of paper it's one or two pages or whatever it's supposed to match with the job description and and then it goes in and sometimes it's relatively arbitrary whether or not someone is in and out right sometimes it's based on the recruiter's uh mood for the day to, to be honest right and uh, i recall that uh, doing some of the, the screening on, on my side right let's say we have spots for 100 interviews right the the people who are like number 98, 99, 100, 102, like the difference can be sometimes just, just so marginal that <laughs> it's almost left to like flipping a coin to, to pick. Now, that's not true in, in, in all areas, right? Because sometimes there are marked differences depending on the specialization of that. Uh, but, but we'd love to get y- your thoughts in terms of like um, hiring and, and, and what you're seeing in the industry and, and how, how it's changing for the good or, 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 or the difference, right? So uh, we'd love your thoughts, David. Great. So first of all, uh, thank you for inviting me. and. Uh hello to to the viewers and the listeners um I've, I've i'm happy to kind of share my thoughts around as you mentioned i work uh, at a company uh, well formerly known as ideal.com which was acquired recently um with a uh, under ceridian which is a human capital management software company mm-hmm. um and um we work with talent acquisition i that's been my space for over two years now and it in addition to that, I've been um, hiring software engineers and designers and product managers and sure. um, different people in the tech space uh, for the past uh, so many years now, eight or nine years now. So um, to specifically answer your question about the resume and how effective it is as, as a channel for, for recruiting, um, based on my personal experience looking, at, uh, looking around, uh, first thing is right now, especially after COVID, there are a lot of resumes flying around <laughs> right. uh, in, in the application. You look at many people who just go on LinkedIn, apply, 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 and Indeed right. or whatever, and there are so many application, application sources, right? What that means is that um, even before people like recruiters were um, time um, constrained, meaning that they didn't have the time to go through every single resume, which is why they said, okay, make the resumes two pages. Then right. they said, make the resumes one page or yeah. keep it as short as possible <laughs> to the point. Um, why? Because there's not enough recruiters to look at all the resumes to find the best candidates to 
to identify and interview. Um, and guess what? There are a lot of roles that would require a lot of information beyond the resume. Imagine that something as simple as customer service, right? There's no way a piece of paper can show your personality sure. or uh, attitude toward customers, your patience, your uh, your um, service level, your your uh, your social skills, some of those things, right? You can claim things, which is another problem because on sure. the resume, a lot of people oversell, but um, I guess uh, data has shown that more men oversell than women, but uh, we don't need to get to there. But the idea is like how much is oversold. So it's not a reliable source of information right. for the recruiters or hiring managers to make a decision. So there's so many of them that um, that are hard to uh, kind of go through and find the diamond in the rough, if you will. Right. So here's the world that we live in. Yeah, and, and then there's that uh, dreaded kind of ATS system where it gets mm-hmm. filtered through the system where it's not even a human anymore. It's some computer algorithm that that keyword search matches or with AI and machine learning figures out that, well, if, if you have this and that, then it, you're more likely and puts you on, on a score with a 98% match or 52% match or whatever that, mm-hmm. that are there. Like, uh, what are your thoughts? Or, or I'm not sure if, if uh, you have any commentary around kind of that usage and even AI machine learning uh, and yeah, machine learning in general from, from a hiring perspective? Uh, what, are, what have you heard in that area? So uh, that's a good question. It's a broad question. So I'm going to try to break it down a few, a few pieces. First of all, ATS, ATS or applicant tracking system, for those who don't know, are the systems that recruiters use in any smaller, medium, or large organization. So if, you ha- if you're hiring more than a few people a year, you probably are using um, some kind of an ATS. Sure. Some of them are free, some of them are paid. And um, obviously there are at least, um, there are tens of them out there. Uh, it may go up to a hundred depending on how, what you count as an ATS. Sure. So that means each one of those is, has built in different kinds of features and functionalities in different ways, right? But the common knowledge is like today, like I think most people know, uh, or maybe most people in my circle would know because of the world that I'm in. So uh, some people may not know that applicant tracking systems at the very bare minimum, most of them do keyword matching. So if the job description says Java, you got to have Java in there, right? A hiring manager or software engineer would know that someone who has worked with C Sharp can probably pick up Java very quickly. Sure. Right, even at the early, especially at the early stage levels, right? Or some of those things, but applicant tracking systems match one to one for the most part. Now, depending on which ATS you use, um, or the, the your future employer or the company that you're applying to uses, um, that might be a different level. Some of them have capabilities around reading a Word document. Some of them can read PDF documents, and uh, some of them can do OCR, which is essentially reading an image of a resume and then uh, read through them and grade them, right? So that's the first level of technology doing the first layer of screening, right? Right. So that's the fundamental, many people know about it by now. And a lot of people, the first thing they do when they're applying for jobs, do the keyword matching. Well, if you yeah. don't do that and you're applying for jobs, you're probably not going through the first gateway, which sure. is a software that Luki just mentioned, right? Um, so that's level one. Then it comes to, like, imagine you, you'd apply then uh, after people now are now seeing um, assessments, right? Mm-hmm. Assessments like video interviews. Tell me about a time that this happened. You're interviewing when nobody's present, just so you're being recorded. And then the recruiter will watch it on the other hand, or AI will watch it on the other hand and will give a grade. What David is seems to be in, uh, 
interested in the role or passionate or excited or whatever that might be. And that's the interpretation of the recruiter or the eye. It may feel very weird to the candidate to speaking into a camera uh, without any kind of feedback, right? So that's a video interview or video assessment. Then you have uh, all different kinds of personality psychology assessments, right. playing games and doing tests of in a party, you're at a corner or in the middle of the, uh, the talent show or whatever that might be, right? So those kinds of like personality, skills, traits, um, those become another sets of assessment that some employers use and you will be kind of uh, be exposed to those as well. And then what, um, what Ideal or Cerulean for the most part does is looking at whatever data we have, it could be a combination of uh, screening questions, the questions that you answer early on, it could be a chat, it could be uh, your resume, the data within your resume, and then use AI to intelligently figure out what you've said in your resume, what that, it, what that means, and then using that and grading beyond just a level of like, the job description has Java, uh, the resume has Java. That's a match that would uh, that NATS would do, right? So these are kind of like different levels of using technology when it comes to hiring. That each one of them will have different kinds of hoops to jump through. For sure, and 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 thanks for sharing all of that because I think it demystifies it a lot because folks have this uh, thought of well, I'm going to throw it into the black hole right, and hope I get a response back. But uh, there's actually multiple components, multiple layers, depending on the sophistication of the company and, and, and uh, the different assessments that they want to throw in it. And the, 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 based on the actual platform itself, they might have more or less features uh, as well. So uh, on, on the assumption that some of them work um, and, and uh, hopefully more of them work than not, <laughs> but uh, someone, someone gets hired and they're in there, then then the rest of the talent management uh, process continues because it's not just hiring. It's also things like onboarding and training, right? Because this person might be great fit in doing that, but they just weren't given an, the, the tools or, or the understanding in order to be successful in, in uh, that particular uh, company. And then uh, all of the, the, the other things where, well, it's kind of the, the additional learning and growth, the uh, performance management and, and planning and all that sort of stuff. Uh, where do you see some of, some of that um, coming in? And then also the circle back to say, hey, uh, did we actually hire a great candidate? Because, uh, well, you, you, they might have been a good candidate on paper and from their past experience, but not necessarily for your particular organization, the group, or the changing times and all that sort of stuff. So uh, how does any of that come full circle? And again, another big question <laughs> that you may break down and, and, and to put you on the spot a little bit. But yeah, what are your, your, your thoughts in terms of um, kind of some of the features and functionality that may or may not be helped by, by technology in the process as well? Right. So um, I'll, I'll start with what challenges the recruiters and HR departments for the most part, and then we'll go from there, right? Sure. It's not necessarily a technology question, but um, what does successful hiring mean? Mm, That's something enough. that organizations can define, right? So now with the world that we have today is uh, successful could mean uh, we've hired the person, we've, we filled the job very fast. It could mean that we have a diverse uh, pool of co people coming into the organization, right? So sure. that could be another way. It could mean that the people that we brought in were high performing, whatever performance, mean, performance sure. means. So that's another thing to be defined, right? Um, it could have many, many different meanings that we're not going to get around to. But the first yeah. question that a lot of HR teams and talent acquisition teams, recruiters and talent acquisitions, many, many times the talent acquisition and HR looked at, are looked at differently. They're, they're, mm -hmm. uh, they have different leaders and different follow, uh, processes to follow. So that's the first question to answer. What is the organization trying to optimize? Because uh, let's, let's stick to turnover, for example. We hired somebody, we onboarded them, we trained them. 
six days after they said goodbye, went somewhere else, right? That's sure. a huge cost for the organization, right? Sure. So um, the question is, how can we figure out the right people who would stick around and be high performing at the job? This is more of a problem at entry-level jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So the service industries in, um, in restaurants, hospitality, things like that would be, would be great examples of that. Um, so uh, there are many, many different approaches to figuring out, okay, so how can we hire the people who would stick around and who would be high performing, right? Um, and technology can help with different places in, uh, in different ways. Um, but I don't think a lo- many, many talent acquisition teams have a good grasp of what that is, what that is and what that sure. means and how we can get there, right? So that's the first problem that they're dealing with. Well, then... Well, assuming somebody came in, show their their um, initiative and they're performing well, one of the things is that, well, if I start as an entry-level job, especially with the millennials and the remote work culture and the fast-changing world that everybody wants to move um, up and uh, ahead in different ways, well, the question is, if I've been performing uh, for six months, for three months, for even a year, or like something like that, well, I'm, I'm looking for my next step. Like a lot of the millennials and now uh, next generations and younger folks are not even millennials. So right, are thinking about, well, what's next for me, right? That sure. becomes um, career pathing, right? Internal growth and, uh, and uh, succession planning. So all of those things that, that are problems to be solved by, by technology, because um, as of now, it's a very hard problem to solve for the HR. I'm going to pause there just to let you kind of direct it in where you want to go. No, I think that that's a great um, kind of qualification in the sense that uh, a, a lot of talent professional or companies in general don't even know what, what they want, right? Because they want someone who they hire quickly, that's a top performer, and they get them for, for cheap, <laughs> right? But yeah. like the lowest possible pay. But it's oftentimes, well, you, you can, what, what's that thing? Like time, cost, or quality, and you pick two, and then the other yeah. one will be off. So mm-hmm. so it's uh, similar. And, and even understanding, well, is it better to hire faster, but knowing that they might leave in, in, in a month, right? Uh, or is it to take a, bit, a little bit longer, but knowing that they might be here a little bit longer or um, or they they are there, but they perform at a, at an A plus level versus a, a B minus level, that sort of thing, right? So I think a lot of that is, is good qualifications uh, to make and and to for organizations to think of what they 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 want um, and what they can afford to not have, because obviously everyone's going to say I want a whole bit, right? But that's yeah. not necessarily uh, realistic. And then to your point about uh, things with like succession planning, right? And and well, someone someone gets onboarded, uh, and the younger generation. I guess when I was uh, starting work, like you would expect to to get promoted in like uh, two, five, ten years, all right? And now it's getting closer to two. Now it's getting closer to twelve months. Now it's getting closer to six months. Where you want to move uh, up because it, it, that just seems to be the pace of uh, of growth these days. And I, I know that some companies they would make like these these artificial levels, right, in between just to say, okay, you got promoted to this senior something that they'd never had before, but they only put it just because they wanted to give you a title change, right? But that was mm-hmm. just more from a psychological perspective. So a lot of very interesting things that, that, that you brought about that a lot of people are not um, uh, um, aware of or, or just even interested in uh, because they, they ne- don't even think about it on a day-to-day basis. But when you kind of peel back the layers, it's like, oh yeah, that makes a, 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 lot, of, a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. You know what? That reminds me of um, of a short story that I'm going to share. Um, sure. uh, before the pandemic, I used to do judo, and I was uh, I got my judo coaching certification. 
And I was uh, with one of the best coaches in, in Ontario uh, and he, he had a class for kids. And in his class for kids, uh, there were all kinds of like three-year-old, like even four or five-year-olds all the way up to like nine, 10-year-olds. And they were taking judo. And among them, they had belts. They were like half yellow, half green. And right. some of these belts, that, and I asked him, um, hey, uh, sensei is like the coach, uh, why do you have half belts? And he says, well, if they start judo at 13 or at, at, at 10, if they want to go up until like 15, 16, like if I give them belts right away, well, they're, they're, they're not gonna, they're, they're going to be finished with all the belts very soon, right? They need to have a sense of progress sure. um, to, to go through the 10 years. Right now it's a similar mindset. If you're like a, a junior associate and right after graduation, you become a, a software developer, senior software developer. Like by the time you're 30, you've gone all of, up all the ladder, right? So what's sure. next, right? So, uh, and we are like, I'm one of them. I'm a millennial. Like we are impatient, want to grow up and faster, <laughs> faster, faster in, in the ladder. Um, while I've recently learned that a lot of the times it might be best to find the best job that suits you sure. at whatever level that is. You don't need to become a manager. You don't need to become a VP. You may be very happy being uh, just a product manager, which is my role or a senior product manager. Again, depending on where you see yourself and your ambitions and what you want, right? So um, I totally agree with the sentiment that it, we are moving towards fast promotions, but I don't know if that's necessarily the healthy way to sustain uh, a career and, and, a, and a workforce and a talent team. Yeah, I, I think that that's a challenge that a lot of the, the talent management folks are going to have to uh, figure out, right? Do, do you play play that game or say, you know what, the expectations are this and, and it's going to take you one, two years and we're not going to dilute it with these kind of fake half belts <laughs> along the way, that sort of thing, um, j just for your, or maybe it is like reality where, where they have to give them and uh, everybody's getting promoted every half year, year, <laughs> that sort of thing, um, um, because it is. So that would be an interesting world to continue on. But if we were to kind of go back a little bit on, on the recruiting front and say, okay, so we have all these things in, in, in place where someone might throw in an assessment to say, okay, we want to hire for, for quality. We want to hire for uh, like a certain talent, customer service or whatever. So we're doing more and more things to try to assess uh, what we're trying to optimize for. But um, are there different ways or, or better ways to do it? Because I know that the traditional way is that that networking, connecting with someone, because at least you have someone who vouches for you, who has been working with you or volunteering with you for the past five, five years, that sort of thing, or previously worked with you on a project and now is grabbing you and poaching you into another organization. That often happens. Um, and and is, is that kind of the best way where everything's just going to be this kind of uh, massive uh, network of who knows who and it's that that uh, uh, quote of it's not what you know, it's who you know, <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that starts taking over, but then you're limited because well any one person only knows like 100 150 people I think that's, that's Dunbar's number where people yeah. maintain kind of that that relationship. So are you kind of limiting and then you sacrifice that kind of diversity as well because you tend to know people who are kind of like you. So uh, are, are there different ways uh, or, or other ways to kind of uh, solve that sort of uh, predicament from, from, a, from a networking side? Um, that's a great question. First of all, I'd like to say, yes, that is the case. The reality is like, I, I got this job because I worked with the person who was at the company for yeah. three years. We were working together. He left before me. And then after a few years, when I said, uh, we were just having a conversation, he said, David, come over. And I said, sure, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I did. And then same thing happened. I brought someone else over to ideal, right? So that's, that's, that happens very much. If you, if you have, yeah. if you work with people and leave good impressions, 
the idea is that they're going to want to have you around. So doing good work and being a good person to have around, right? So those are the two things. But in the absence of that, because that's something that I work with quite a lot of uh, immigrants who have mm. never, who've new to Toronto or students who, well, never worked, right? right. So what can they do? Um, still networking is the best way to go. Like with, uh, with the new, per- new people that I, I, I've worked with, um, there's several, many, many people now through different programs to help them get settled in Canada. Right. First step is do some kind of a side project or a volunteer work, right? Expand right. your network for that. That might be the best way to go because um, if you're a great person and somebody gets to know you, there's a good chance that you can benefit from their network, not just right. your own. Right. So um, building and establishing rapport, which goes back to the networking that, that you asked. Right. Um, and then same with students. Like I work with a lot of students. I help them do some kind of a community project or part with working with the partners um, and essentially build a network. If many of them have left a good impression on the partner that we work with, which could be a nonprofit, charity, university lab, and many of them were hired right after the project was done for the course. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's, that's another common thing. But um, the best advice that I could leave people with is uh, whatever you are, leave, leave good marks and uh, people will notice. It may take a bit of time, but people will notice. You can also um, reach out cold to people, right? So uh, LinkedIn, I think I was just talking to someone the other day. And if you reach out to 50 people, um, even 40 of them just totally ignore you. And then five of them respond and say, no, thank you. I don't have time for this. Uh, And then two of them say, yes, let's have a chat. That's two people in your network that if you leave a good mark on, could be helpful. It's it's nothing new. It's not rocket science. It's just hard to do. And most people don't do that. Yeah, and I think the, the prerequisite to that is, is doing that good work, right? And leaving that good impression, right? So obviously, if you're volunteering, you'll have a little bit more time, you'll, you'll hopefully be the one showing up early, putting up your hand and volunteering and doing a lot of good stuff. If you're the, the person who's just kind of cold connecting with someone, you're hopefully leaving that good impression where you're not being pushy and trying to like, uh, get them to, to uh, like, go against their will in terms of uh, referrals and things like that. And then there is a difference between kind of a, I was just chatting with, with someone else on, on, on a referral where you have a kind of like the, the high quality referral and just the regular mm-hmm. referral, right? Right. Cause the people who know you and have worked with you, they can give you the high qualities like, yeah, David's great. He's amazing. Uh, we really want, we really think he'd be an asset to your team versus the, yeah, I just met David yesterday. He seems okay. <laughs> and then maybe you, you should bet him and take a look at it, but uh, yeah. no, no, no uh, qualms either way. So I think that's uh, another thing where um, at the end of the day, a, a lot of it is um, the, a different skill to build, right? So writing a resume has a different skill set than networking, right? And not, neither good nor bad. And some people might be more comfortable with one or the other. Um, but at, at some point, they're, they're uh, probably going to have to get through that in order to be successful in life, right? Your, your written communication skills on, on how you portray yourself as well as connecting with others. Those are skills that everybody needs, right? Like yeah. where, 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 whether you are the, uh, there. And then obviously you'll have to get through kind of like the, the, the interview process where I'm actually a little bit more, uh, well, less annoyed with the interview process than like the resume process. Because the resume, uh, sometimes it's just a technicality that, well, you missed mm-hmm. one word or you put you put C plus, C sharp instead of Java, right? Or you said you put whatever, uh, and, and then that throws you out. Whereas in the um, interviews side, at least there's, well, hopefully an experienced interviewer <laughs> that's able to assess you a little bit and then you can get some, some cues. But at the end of the day, 
it's sometimes it's a 45 minute time window, right? Do you really know someone in, in 45 minutes? And, and is there that one magic question that people can, can ask that will really tell uh, everything on, on how you perform for the next five or 40 years, that sort of thing? So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts or comments on, on, on that part of the process, on, on the interview part of the process. Um, first things, I've interviewed people. I've worked with so many people. I've been sitting with other interviewers on a table. Um, I look at the data from other interviewers and I can tell any job applicant that interviewers are not perfect. Many sure. of the times they don't even know what they're looking for. Many <laughs> of the times the criteria is not clear. Many of the times they're not ready. They are going to deal with so many other things. Many of the time they answer the wrong question, which is not can this person do this job well or does this person wants to do the job, right? They answer the question of, do I like this person? Do they right. look like me, right? Uh, would it be nice to have around? Depending on the kind of organization, if you were at a startup, I've, I've only hired for startups. Uh, and the question that I ask is, can having this person lighten my workload hmm. or the team that I'm hiring for? Right? That's the question that I want to answer that make my day better. Like, those are the questions that I'm answering. And I ask questions related to that. But a lot of times people can do that. Specifically, for example, for software engineering roles or product manager roles that, I've, that I have hired, it's not necessarily product manager, a little bit more so than software engineering. A good software engineer is not necessarily the best human communicator. Right. Some of the best software engineers that I know would love to understand what needs to be done, go focus, come back whenever they're done and say, here's what's done, right? Um, the, the impression that they make, the way they communicate, the way tell a story doesn't have to be perfect. And I learned that the hard way because there was a great software engineer that I almost said no to. And I realized, uh, mostly because of that in interaction, well, I realized they could have been an amazing, well, they were an amazing software engineer that I overlooked, right? So asking the question um, and then testing them with the right way is, is the best way to go. Laszlo Buck, um, who was, I think, SVP of, People Op SVP of People Operations, I believe, at Google. I don't know mm -hmm. the exact title, but he was a HR leader at Google, wrote a book called Work Rules, where he lays out what makes a good interviewer, right? So mm -hmm. if you're an interview, if you're a candidate, there's not much control you have over that, except for maybe making sure that the, can the interviewer likes you. Uh, you go in prepared, you leave a good impression, you do your research on the company. Um, but if anybody's doing interviews or uh, is an interviewer setting up processes, that might be a great book. I'm sure there's a summary of it somewhere as well if you don't have the time to read the book. Sure. And what that brings to light for, for me is that, well, interviewing, like, like pretty much everything, is, is a skill. It's something that you have to practice and get better at because it really filters for a particular skill set. Because as you mentioned, um, in, as an interviewer, you have to answer something on the spot. Right. But there's so many brilliant people, amazing people at what they do, where give me five minutes, to, 10 minutes to take it away and I'll come and give you a brilliant answer. But right on the spot, off the top of my head, like, uh, you'll be like a deer in the headlights. So it's mm -hmm. kind of filtering for a particular skill set that, well, you should be able to come up with it on the top of your head. Well, that's only if that's required of you in the job. But if your uh, job requires you to be thoughtful and, and take it away and come up with multiple solutions on the best way to do it, well, then interviewing doesn't necessarily uh, fit, fit that bill in terms of like the type of skill set. So I think that brings to light uh, something and then uh, a great resource that you can uh, share and, and hopefully folks can look at uh, what uh, Mr. Laszlo <laughs> puts mm -hmm. together and, and, and provide some, some good information. I, I think I read another one. It's, I forget the author, but it's titled Who? And, and they basically go through a um, executive level type of recruiting. And, I, and a lot of those questions 
uh, and, and uh, premises can be translated down to uh, more junior folks as, as well. Um, because like when you hire at a, at a C-suite level, right, you better hire a really good one because there's yeah. very, very little, little room. Whereas technically, if you're hiring an entry-level one, uh, there's a little bit more give uh, on that side. So, mm -hmm. so, so we'll kind of walk through a little bit on the, uh, the resume side, a little bit on the networking, uh, the interviewing side. Um, but is, is there an, another way or, or a different way to potentially uh, hire or recruit people? Um, I, I know that uh, th there, I've heard of some companies that are doing more um, kind of like a, a, a temp to, to full type of thing, temp to perm, right? Where in order to work for me, you have to like freelance or work part-time for me so I can see th those skills, do it for a couple of weeks or months or whatever, and then you get converted into full-time. Or maybe they just stay um, up, permanently uh, freelance and, and part-time and, and do that. So uh, I've heard of that as another way. Have you seen any other different ways of, of, of hiring or recruiting that, that might be uh, of interest for folks that are, that are considering uh, doing something a little bit different? So I think the gig economy is that you're touching on right now, right? So mm -hmm. freelancing, contracting, doing the part-time work, having multiple employers. So initially in the, in the, in the 1900s, like the 60s and 50s, somebody would start working for the same employer for 30 years. And they were like, yeah. okay, bye, here's my pension, uh, I'm gonna go. <laughs> By then we moved as we went to like the, uh, the 90s and 2000s, we're like, okay, so I'm gonna work for the same employer for 10 years. And as we move forward, we're getting into like two years. I think the average in tech right now is somewhere between 12 to 18 months, okay. which is not much compared to what we had before, right? Um, and now we're moving and transitioning to uh, the gig economy, which is, well, I'm not going to have one employer. I'm going to have three employers distributing my income and sources of income and each working part-time for, for all of them. It's, it won't be an employer. It would be like a uh, uh, somebody who gives me a contract, right? So I think quite more and more of people are moving towards that because especially with the remote work, people have learned the value of, okay, the freedom from being an uh, employee, being sitting in the office, for example, right? So I think the world is trending towards that way um, and it will be catching on, especially for a lot of roles that need to get something done. It has pros for both the employer uh, and the, uh, the talent as well. So we're gonna see more and more of that as a model. A lot of people are kind of breaking out on their own ventures and startups and consulting worlds. So that might be something that we're gonna see more of as well. Yeah, and, and you can kind of um, get past a lot of the, the, the legislation where uh, like if, if you want to kind of fire someone, there's got to be just cause and stuff, or there could be kind of legal repercussions. But if I hire you on a, on a three-month contract, it was three months. Like, I, I never said I'd renew, right? I never said mm -hmm. continue on. So, so that gives uh, flexibility on both sides often too, right? Now there's different sort of risks uh, because you don't have the necessarily the, the continuity and, and that person might be taking up another contract and they might not be available to later, that sort of thing. But it, it's one where um, depending on, on your, your um, business model or the type of work that you're doing, uh, it might be uh, something interesting to do. So um, it sounds like that, that there's uh, work to be done in the world of uh, recruitment and talent management where um, right now we still have kind of the, the resume process. Uh, it, it is... Uh, it was like the long CV, which was the, the, the record of your life. And then it was two pages. Then now it's one page. Maybe 
future resumes will be like a paragraph <laughs> or some sort of um, uh, other document that kind of shows maybe it's kind of the equivalent of your 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 your, your Tinder profile where someone can swipe right or swipe left to, to find kind of the, the high level things. Uh, maybe it's this, the, the rubber stamp of, a, of an organization, like a, like a school or, or something like that, that, that has, has more weighting or something. Or there, there might be different ways of, of, of um, kind of putting that seal of approval. Then there's always the, the networking, because at the end of the day, a human's going to be making the decision. Well, presumably, right? There might be some yeah. AI or machine learning, but someone's going to say, yes, I want that person to, to work with me, even if it's a, a, a machine algorithm that decides the, the, the top contenders or something. Um, and, and then, yeah, you, you'll have to just be mindful from an interview process. And then there might be all these other different kind of work contexts that, that would be useful. But uh, what, any other thoughts come to mind from, from a recruiting or a talent management perspective that uh, you think would be interesting for folks to hear? To your point, I'm, I'm thinking about the kinds of people that I've hired. Like we've, we've recently hired uh, designers and uh, translators, for example, for the kind of product that we're looking at. And um, the, the two things that I went off, I, I don't even know if I looked at the resumes for these people or the portfolio, what they have done. Sure. And the second thing is um, social validation. So if you go mm -hmm. on somewhere like a Fiverr or an Upwork or any kind of website where there is contract work to be done, if 50 people or 100 people say this person is a five star, they did the job well, I'm very happy, they did it within time and budget and everything, well, that's more powerful for me than a resume. And that's another validation that we're going to be more moving more and more towards the gig economy. I don't have a job for designer all the time. Um, I, I have it every now and then. I, would, I don't want to have a designer sitting around managing them and everything else. I could just say, here, Ms., uh, Mr. Mrs. Designer, just uh, let's do this project. And here's your pay and goodbye until the next time around, right? So um, I, I believe we're going to, as the organization learn how to manage their needs and make run lean, I think we're going to move more and more towards that. Yeah. And, and I, as you say that, I kind of picture things like LinkedIn, where you have like those skills and then this many people are recommended in that skill set or whatever, right? But that's a little bit different because they don't necessarily say how well they do it. They just say, yeah, this person knows how to do this, but whether they're a five-star or a two-star, <laughs> they don't actually mm -hmm. uh, qualify that. So maybe it's, it's, it's a version of that, but probably a step in, in the right direction. But to your point of um, some sort of demonstration that I can do the work. So even as a student who you're just in school uh, and you've academically taken all the courses, well, you better have something to show for it. Like in tech, it's easy because you can code a website or an app or whatever. In marketing and design, it's, it's probably easier as well because you can show your uh, graphics portfolio and stuff like that uh, as uh, like a project manager might be a little bit more challenging because like, well, what projects? Is it the, the, the school dance or events or fundraising? Well, yeah, those are, those are, are valid. Uh, when you talk about like like uh, public policy, well, what policy would you have written in third year? <laughs> but at least being involved with, with the process, I think there's going to be a lot more where it, it, I do feel that it is that kind of that experiential piece where if someone can validate um, through social proof or something else that they can do the work, it's a lot better than, well, the traditional one where it was that degree or diploma that said that you could do it. Now, like, everyone has one of those and you have to filter amongst uh, all, all those many people who have that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think a lot of that is interesting from a, from a hiring perspective. That's, that's a great point. Actually, I was thinking of, um, an example, I teach undergraduates at the university of Toronto, right? Okay. Um, a lot of times students do one internship. Sometimes they come back and say like, well, I did an internship. I know what agile is. Right. <laughs> or, or sometimes people say, well, I took a course on project management. I know project management. Right. Sure. So there's like the knowledge of the concepts, 
then um, you can you know, go deeper and you're like, okay, I can apply them to a problem that is defined within, within the context of school, simple problem. Then you go deeper. Like I've done it in real life for a smaller project. If we were to go with project management, sure. then I can um, manage multiple projects and multiple project managers. Deeper you go, I can evolve project management in a way that is much more, uh, much better. And we can define better, right? Something that happened with agile and the initial software engineering and thought leaders there that came up with agile going from the waterfall, right? So, I know project management is a very vague term mm-hmm. that if I go right now, I think I probably have that as a skill that I've had for like years and years, but my level of knowledge of project management or product management has grown so much. And there's no easy and objective way to assess that except for maybe uh, giving me the challenge or seeing what I've accomplished or sure. not accomplished for that matter. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and usually when I, when we, talk about that I talk about like driving right so there's a very big difference between reading and uh, understanding that the driver's handbook right Mm -hmm. and then being put behind the wheel of a car for like the first time where you have to like check your shoulder and check the mirror and then do the turn signal and whatever and then through oncoming traffic and through highway speed traffic and in downtown uh, versus like in suburban very different uh, experience so I I kind of equate what what you said there where like sure I know how to drive um, from my street to another street in like uh, suburban wherever whereas uh if you're uh kind of like a, a, a taxi driver downtown <laughs> a very different skill set needed when you're in, in the thick of things there so yeah uh, yeah I, I think that the way to, to to validate that that experience and and that uh, ability will be an interesting one on who can kind of uh, stamp that um but if like uh, employers can say yeah I, I know the work and quality but the challenge is I, I don't necessarily want to stamp that because that means my people might be poached <laughs> because they'll take the best uh, of folks who, who have demonstrated in, in, in my area. But a lot of uh, good and interesting uh, discussions on kind of the, the evolution of, of uh, recruiting and some of the challenges there and, and maybe some things that folks can think about as they solve for these problems. But unfortunately, it's kind of what we have today, right? And there's no kind of um, silver bullet type solution that'll make all of it go away. So folks will still need to, uh, at least for the next few years, need to uh, submit their resumes, need to network a bunch of people like cold calling or maybe warm as well. You'll probably pro- need to practice your interviews as, as well uh, in mm-hmm. there too. But And uh, you can consider exploring things like the gig economy and make sure you have a nice portfolio of work. And I think that would be great. So uh, yeah. Um, Thanks so much, David, for, for joining us in this discussion on kind of recruiting and, and talent. And are there any kind of uh, parting words that you want to say for folks that are interested in kind of evolving or, or shaping that world? Uh, my pleasure. Just to your last point that you mentioned, I think a lot of the times uh, we think of when going into an organization, when we're looking for a job, we're looking for a job that we think we're ready for, like the next level or mm-hmm. we, want, we want to get to. Well, if, if it's the right organization, I can probably start as where I am, or maybe even one step lower, get in there within a few months or sometime, show myself, improve myself, and then go back up, right? So that will make a lot of the people, especially if you're changing context, like coming from a different country to Canada, coming sure. from a different city to Toronto, um, that will probably ease things out. And then when you show your value, then you can talk with, a, with your manager or leader to be able to kind of move within the organization. Moving within the organization is something that a lot of HR leaders are thinking through, thinking about mm-hmm. these days. Um, and that might be a great way to find the right spot uh, instead of directly landing in the right spot uh, from outside the organization. Yeah, I think that that's uh, definitely a good point because sometimes, what's that expression when you're 
getting on a rocket ship, don't ask uh, which seat are you <laughs> going to be in, just get on and, yeah. and then you'll find your seat later and that sort of thing. So if it is an organization that you want to join, it may not be that, that, that the right role, but you can probably uh, move uh, laterally or up and down or wherever it is uh, a little bit more freely as well. So, uh, yeah. lots of good guidance. so uh, uh, thanks so much, David, for joining us on, on this discussion. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode. My pleasure. It was a great conversation. Hope it was helpful. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks, David. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.